Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, State Representative John Cross shares his reaction to Governor DeWine's State of the State address earlier this week. Also, to wrap up National Agriculture Week, Senator Sherrod Brown, who sits on the Senate Ag Committee, will discuss work to address issues he views as most important to Ohio farmers. It's where the real glitz and glamour of the Academy Awards begins. We get our Oscars red carpet preview, and we have more delicious and easy to make recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, March 25th, 2022. If you need a reason to celebrate today, it is International Waffle Day. (laughs) So there you go. Say no more. International Waffle Day. It is National Lobster Newberg Day. No thanks. I'll take the waffles. Uh, National Medal of Honor Day. It is Pecan Day. Is it Pecan or Pecan? Pecan or Pecan? Uh, Tolkien Reading Day. So dust off your copy of The Hobbit today and it is old new year's day all right then so uh some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to uh, get your day started there has been a lot of discussion about remote work during and after the pandemic and uh if and when workers should return to their offices or are we in this new normal where people can work from anywhere and here is the big question, does working from anywhere really mean working from anywhere? Uh, the Wall Street Journal reports that top executives at Meta, which is Facebook's parent company, have not only been working remotely, they have been doing so in some far-flung locations. Mark Zuckerberg has reportedly been spending a lot of time in Hawaii. The head of Instagram, Adam Mosseri, has been working from multiple locations, including Hawaii, Cape Cod. Uh, Others have relocated even to other countries. Some are working for Meta from the UK and Israel. Now, I think Meta actually has a presence in some of those countries, but I mean, they're working for the U.S. office of Meta, but working from the UK, Israel, other places. Some analysts say the unusual setup could work, Specifically for Meta, because it is an international conglomerate, they've been focusing on the metaverse and making it easier to work from home. But uh, Stephen Lee of Logan Capital says uh, for the uh, Wall Street Journal piece, if you are trying to develop the metaverse and develop workplace systems, learning by doing is probably not a bad way to do it. However, uh, having top executives in different time zones and even different countries could make it harder for companies to deal with issues in a timely manner. And uh, so others are arguing that they working remotely is one thing, but working at such remote locations is something else entirely. I don't know about where you work or uh, anything like that, but... Uh, I was thinking I, I was thinking this myself, as a matter of fact, uh, the other day, because I was watching the evening news broadcasts on the 
on the networks, on the TV. And uh, there had been reporting from near the war zone, uh, from Poland near the Ukraine border and so on. And with the time change, it's almost midnight when the evening news here comes on. And so that got me to thinking, you know, we could do this show from Europe, not the war zone. I don't want to go to Ukraine, but, you know, go to the UK or something like that. Spend a few weeks in Paris. And with the time difference, I could still do this show, but it would be like noon. (laughs) I could sleep in. Wait a minute. I could sleep in until noon and still do (laughs) and still do this show and uh, be in Paris. That's not not such a bad, (laughs) such a bad deal now. Now that I'm thinking about it. Anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Is it uh is it working from working remotely? Does that really mean working from anywhere? Just kind of an interesting uh and so we are actually uh doing the uh doing the remote broadcasting thing today. We're at uh, the home studio in the bunker on this Friday. So I saw that in the uh where it kind of pop, popped up at me. This is kind of interesting. Among the first things you need to know this morning, scientists in the Netherlands have discovered microplastics in the bloodstream of 80% of the people that they tested in this study. The Netherlands, they say this discovery proves these particles travel throughout the body and very little is known about the health risks. Uh, Professor Dick Vithak, I think is how you pronounce it, says, we also know in general that babies and young children are more vulnerable to chemical and particle exposure. The research funded by the Dutch National Organization for Health Research and Development. And again, they're pointing out that we really don't know very much about the health risks of microplastics in our bodies. 80% of us, they say, according to this research, uh, have microplastics in our bloodstream, micro, microscopic uh, particles of plastics and plastic-related chemicals in our bloodstream. It just goes to show how pervasive this stuff is in our society. They say we need more research to find out uh, how it is impacting us. This is kind of interesting. If you have kids, have you ever had this happen? Uh, you have to give these uh, brothers points for creativity. A pair of stepbrothers, both 14 years old, were not happy when their parents told them they had to stop using their phones at 9 p.m. each night. Mom and dad tried to, you know, cut them off at 9 p.m., which seems reasonable, I think, for a 14-year-old. Fabian Birch and Ben Stewart, again, their stepbrothers, decided to pull one over on their parents by handing over their phone cases stuffed with paper and topped with photos of iPhone screens taped on top. (laughs) it kind of looked like a phone and it actually worked for a few hours. Mom and dad eventually noticed a piece of tape sticking out of one of the cases. Uh, Mom, Rebecca says they were like partners in crime trying to pull the wool over our eyes. It's just, there's never a dull moment in our house when we realized um, I couldn't actually be mad because (laughs) I had to admit it was rather brilliant. Uh, the, uh, 
Mom and dad say they have now resorted to nighttime patrol where they make sure that all phones, games, and TVs are turned off before the kids go to bed. But I thought this was... I bring this up because I saw this uh, research out of the University of Central Florida and finds how a parent uses social media reflects their parenting style. Um, so, I don't know. The apple doesn't fall from the tree. It doesn't fall far from the tree. I'm thinking, you know, how our our parenting style and how our kids approach all of this depends. Uh, well, it doesn't depend on how we use social media, but how we use social media uh, can reflect our parenting style. Uh, these researchers found that parents who frequently share photos of their children on social media tend to have more permissive and confident parenting styles and engage their children with social media at younger ages. These parents also tended to share photos beyond just their small networks of family and friends, which raises privacy and safety concerns. But uh, they also don't see parental sharing as much different than regular photo sharing, and they rarely ask for their young children's input. The lead researcher in this study, Mary Ammon, says this means parental sharing is linked to those parents having more friend-like relationships with their children and offering less guidance than other parents. And notably, permissive parenting has been linked to problematic internet usage among children. So you're having trouble with uh, your kids and the way they approach social media. Maybe uh, think a little bit about how you approach social media is the long and short of it there. I know that's not necessarily earth-shattering. And if you are looking for uh, ways to spend less time with your mobile device. And I think we are all to the point where we realize maybe we are just a little too addicted to our phones. Five ways to break that toxic relationship from the experts. Number one, decide on time limits. Research says if we set specific goals, we are more likely to achieve them. So use the time limit settings on your apps to determine how much time you would like to spend with each of those apps interacting each day. Uh, decide on time limits. Number one, find a go-to replacement activity once you hit your device limit. You can make a list of things that you might like, might like to spend more time doing. So when it's time to put down your phone, you actually have something else to do and you're not just twiddling your thumbs wishing that you could pick up your phone because you're probably break down and do that um, create no device zones in order to strengthen relationships and make those around you feel seen and heard it is important to create spaces that do not include devices so no device zones like for example the dinner table uh, dinner table that would be a good idea uh, in addition to setting time limits with your various apps just go ahead and delete the most time-sucking apps. Uh, deleting apps when you do not want to use them. You can always reinstall them later if you decide you need them. Uh, but it just makes them a little less easy to access, especially when you're stressed or you're tired or you're bored. And uh, so that, that can be resist the temptation if they're just not there. And uh, number five, tell others that you care about. Let those people around you know you want to spend more time 
doing things that are meaningful to you. Research shows that accountability helps us achieve goals more quickly. So there you go. Some uh, ways to break up with your phone. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories there to get your TGI Friday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, cloudy skies today, a chance of a shower, high of 46. Showers are likely tonight, low of 35. Some local companies are going above and beyond to help the people of Ukraine and are inviting you to join their effort. Buffalo Trading Company and Buffalo Cartridge through Project Help Now are gathering goods for the people of Ukraine. Ken Cooper says there's a variety of ways you can help. You can donate items. You can set your business up to be a drop point for other people to drop off items. You can host or participate in packing parties to get the supplies ready to go over there. The amazing thing is how fast the relief gets where it's going to immediately help people. Get more on the relief effort and learn how you can help out on the website. Ohio Congresswoman Joyce Beatty is among lawmakers who testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee in support of Supreme Court nominee Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. She emphasized that if confirmed, Judge Jackson would be just the sixth woman on the Supreme Court. I urge this body to remember that Judge Jackson's confirmation vote must not be isolated to her gender or to her race. Instead, I urge you to closely examine her credentials and her sterling judicial record. The American Bar Association already has given Judge Jackson its highest rating. ONN's Brittany Bailey reporting. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine is making mental health a focus of his administration. The governor devoted a portion of his State of the State speech to the topic, particularly with regard to young people. The governor also emphasized the importance of approaching mental illness as a health concern and not a crime. Get more on the website. The Liberty Benton Athletic Boosters and the Capital Campaign Committee are inviting the Liberty Benton community to the grand opening of the new Eagle Fieldhouse. Superintendent Mark Kowalski says the new facility will be utilized by all sports, the band, and the community. Just a great effort by our Capital Committee uh, in conjunction with our Athletic Boosters and our our school community really uh, stepped up. The generosity of our Liberty Benton school community is just amazing. The new Eagle Fieldhouse is located directly behind the new elementary middle school building that's going up. The grand opening for the Fieldhouse will be held on Saturday, April 2nd. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So now we get to our cover story this morning. Earlier this week, Governor DeWine delivered his first State of the State address since before the pandemic. State Representative John Cross joins us this morning uh, with his reaction. And uh, John, clearly the governor, like all of us, is ready to leave the pandemic in the past. He talked about the sun coming up in Ohio, moving forward, focusing on an economic resurgence. You were among the governor's harshest critics over the past two years for some of the measures that he took uh, during the uh, pandemic. You ready to let bygones be bygones? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Well, first off, uh, it's great to be with you. And 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 number two, it was great to have a state of state address. It was actually great to talk about and hear about policies uh, for Ohio and things we could do in the future. And it was nice not to talk about COVID or the pandemic. And, uh, and it, we're definitely ready to move forward. 
obviously, one of the economic highlights in the speech, as you would expect, was Intel's plan recently announced to invest $20 billion in developing a microchip plant in suburban Columbus area. You have championed just this kind of high-tech economic growth for the state. Is the administration doing enough to make Ohio the kind of state that future generations move to instead of move from? Yeah, no, that's that's a great uh, a great segue into the reason why we're we're introducing the Grow Ohio Act. We we have to we don't have a workforce problem. We have the best workforce in America. Uh, we have talented uh, individuals here in the 83rd district that uh, do great things. We just have to get more of them, right, Chris? We have to at University of Finley when these kids graduate. We know you know 10, 20, 30, 40 percent of their college students are leaving Ohio to take jobs because they might you know, get a fancy paycheck in Chicago or New York, but that's not really worth uh, the paycheck. Uh, they're going to go. Uh, the, the, that Intel announcement is going to have a positive effect here in the 83rd district. We're going to see companies locate here to support Intel, as well as Intel making the announcement to move here is going to send a signal across the country to everybody that Ohio is the place to do business. So we we have to, continue to work on attracting and retaining uh, people to Ohio. Um, I chair the Higher Education Committee in the House, working on the Grow Ohio Act legislation to look at some incentives to do that because all, all states are getting competitive. You know, Alabama getting competitive to, to bring students down there. Right. Our neighboring states are, are competitive. So, we're just trying to do the same here in Ohio to show people this is a great place to live, work, and prosper, and 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 try to get more people here. When uh, you talk about uh, growing uh, the the workforce and and attracting economic development, one uh, thing that the governor did spend a good deal of time talking about uh, in the state of the state was revitalization of the Appalachian region of Southeast Ohio. And anyone who knows anything about the economic condition of the state knows that that region needs a lot of help and has for quite some time. But of course, you don't represent that area, so I'm wondering what goes through your mind when you hear the governor talk about targeting programs in an area that you don't represent? Well, that, that's actually a great question. Uh, you know, certainly uh, I represent the 83rd district and I tell people all the time, I try to champion uh, my district, our district, and bring home resources to our district. At the end of the day, I'm trying to bring home the tax dollars that we send to Columbus to bring back to Finley and to Kenton and the 83rd district. So those tax dollars work for us. Now, when the governor talks about different parts of the state, you know, that's okay. He's the governor of the state. Right. Uh, and I'm one, I'm one legislator fighting for my district. But I think, you know, also we pass legislation that deals with all parts of the state. So let me give you a good example. Rural broadband. Rural broadband is really important for the Appalachia area, and it's tricky for them down there because of the rolling hills. Mm -hmm. But but we also are rural, too. I mean, I you know, Finley is a great city. But we have a lot of rural issues here uh, in the 83rd district, and rural broadband is just as important to us in the 83rd district as it is Appalachia. So I don't, I don't get bit out of shape when the governor or right. any uh, elected official talks about different parts of the region because sometimes we have similarities and sometimes we don't. And when uh, when legislate, I mean, assuming that uh, there is going to be some attention paid uh, to that region based on you know sure. the governor's priorities as he was laying them out, 
you know, when you approach uh, legislation that is aimed at specifically that uh, area, how do you approach that? Well, I mean, I think of, I think of, uh, you know, not only the rural broadband, but, you know, we think of uh, infrastructure and mm-hmm. all the challenges that we need for infrastructure. Yeah. You know, I, I have yet to find legislation Chris, that, that, you know, uh, really targets one area. I think what will happen is that we'll be putting pots of money and resources for Appalachia, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean that that pot of money doesn't, uh, get spent in other parts of the state. Right. Um, yeah, th- th- there's a lot but, of things. There's a lot. I mean, I, there's my two focuses for the 83rd district is making sure that we can continue to get people connected to the internet because a lot of people don't have the access that you and I have. Mm-hmm. And number two, uh, continuing to improve our infrastructure because the, the strong infrastructure and housing that we have will only lead to more economic growth for Finley and Hancock County region. Yeah. Um, we talk about uh, attracting uh, and maintaining a good workforce, especially for high-tech economic growth like the Intel investment and so on. Mr. DeWine, I thought this was kind of interesting. He also spoke about investing in Ohio State Parks, which many of which have mm. facilities that are outdated and in disrepair. And again, you talked about making Ohio attractive to young people. This newest generation in the workforce does place a high priority on quality of life assets like parks and recreational uh, opportunities. So can you uh, support a concerted effort to increase investment in that area? Yeah. I mean, we, we obviously quality of life issues matter. I mean, no doubt the governor loves his state parks talks about it often. Um, but I, I think that, you know, we have to be smart and make sure we're spending our money wisely and well. And, and uh, you know, I, I'd like to see the proposal. But, you know, we have a state park uh, right here in the 83rd District, mm-hmm. uh, the Van Duren State Park. We have been trying to get some resources there to that. But I think improving our outdoor activities, our quality of life is important for people, particularly that are moving here. And um, so, again, I'm not opposed to it. I just want to make sure that we're spending our money wisely and well. It's kind of, you know, the minute he talks about state parks, it reminds me of the great movie with John Candy, the great outdoors. (laughs) And uh, so, so, so we just need to make sure that when we're doing this, are we getting a good, are we getting a good return on our our investment? I I think that may be the first interview with a legislator that I have ever had uh, that has invoked uh, John Candy. So congratulations on that. Again, uh, state representative John Cross with this reaction to the uh, governor's state of the state address earlier this week, first since the start of the pandemic. And obviously, as we said, it's good to get back to some semblance of normal in that respect. Uh, Ms. Cross, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. And now, of course, uh, as we have been talking all week, this is National Agriculture Week. Senator Sherrod Brown sits on the Senate Ag Committee, joins us uh, this morning to uh, talk about uh, issues that uh, he feels are most important for Ohio farmers. Of course, uh, Senator, as you know, the current farm bill expires uh, next year. It's time to go through that process again. Let me start with that. You have said that you plan to hold meetings with uh, farmers and ag leaders throughout the state to ensure the new farm bill aligns with their priorities. What do you believe some of those priorities are? 
Yeah, Ohioans forget too often how important agriculture is to our state. People, obviously, people in Finley and Northwest Ohio know of its importance because it's a major agriculture area. But um, I got on the Ag Committee uh, when I came to the Senate, first uh, senator from Ohio in five decades to be on the Ag Agriculture Committee because it's so important. And every five years, we update the Farm Bill. And I do a series of roundtables all over rural Ohio and, and urban Ohio, too, but mostly rural Ohio to talk about what matters to farmers. And part of those part of those um, challenges we are meeting now with the bipartisan infrastructure bill so that farmers can get their goods to market, can rely on more reliable shipping and and bridges and highways and even the little culvert bridges that I remember growing up working on my family farm. Um, driving all those little culvert bridges, pulling hay wagons, and some of those are in states of just many hundreds around Ohio, Hancock County, and elsewhere are in stages of disrepair. So all of those kinds of concerns, the cost of fertilizer, the availability of fertilizer, the inputs farmers need, getting more E15, um, so we diversify our, our energy production with biomass from farm products, all of those things we look at. Let's uh, talk uh, real quickly about a couple of those items. Uh, as you mentioned, one of the priorities, something you have lobbied the administration for and and past administrations for that matter, permitting the year-round sale of E15 ethanol. That is an issue that takes on even greater importance right now, obviously. Yeah, we, we see, um, the obviously, the attack, Russian invasion, the illegal War crimes invasion of Ukraine has caused energy instability in the energy market all over the world and will, it is already affecting gas prices. We also know that oil companies use the pandemic oil executives to jack up energy prices, as did uh, beef, the beef, the big uh, meatpacking country companies use the pandemic to jack up prices way higher than inflation to enrich their bottom line and, and give even bigger bonuses to their $10 million a year. Uh, CEOs. So all all of that, we, 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 we've got to deal with, we've got to produce some more diverse energy. We've got to get away from Russian oil, get the whole world weaned off Russian oil, but we need a diverse energy. And, and not, not far from where most of your listeners are, we're big, building the biggest solar energy manufacturing plant in North America, first solar, um, Perrysburg to Perrysburg, Bowling Green, that area. Uh, so we're, we are diversifying. Farmers can play a significant role in that. You also uh, talk about uh, increasing the production of domestic fertilizer. Last week, the Biden administration announced, uh, announced plans to do just that. Even though we are the third largest fertilizer producer in the world, we are still a net importer of key fertilizer nutrients. That's obviously of key concern to the agriculture industry. How much more self-sufficient can we re- uh, realistically be? Well, we can be. We can be self-sufficient. I don't. Um, we're a big, rich, diverse country with huge natural resources. But look what we've allowed to happen because presidents of both parties, Trump, Obama, uh, Clinton, Bush, uh, frankly, sold us out on trade issues over the years at the behest of corporate and corporate large corporations that were looking for cheap labor. They moved so much overseas. Uh, 99% of light bulbs, uh, LED bulbs now are made in China. We make, even though we invented the light bulb, even though we invented semiconductors in this country, we only make 8% of them, 8 or 9% in the United States. Uh, so we, 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 we can, I mean, you can't be self-sufficient 100% of the time and we don't want to put walls around our country, 
but we do want to we do want to focus on American workers, and we simply haven't done that. So, for instance, um, Senator Portman and I, in the bipartisan infrastructure bill, wrote the strongest Buy America provisions we've ever had in American law, so that when tax dollars are spent to rebuild a, a culvert bridge and in, 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 outside Genera or a bigger bridge in the city of Toledo over the Maumee or a water sewer system, that all those components are made by American workers and American business in the United States. Um, there's just no reason we can't get very fairly close to 100% there. Again, uh, Senator Sherrod Brown, member of the Senate Ag Committee with us this morning. Look forward to talking much more about the uh, farm bill process as we uh, enter the time when we go through that uh, once again. Senator, thanks very much for taking some time for us this morning. We appreciate it. Always, Chris. Thanks for the good questions. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Four Florida men have come up with a creative way of cutting their gasoline costs. Because gas is just astronomically high right now, so everybody's looking to cut their costs. However, this one, (laughs) they ended up paying for it big time in the long run. Four Florida men found a way of changing the pulsator, uh, which is the device inside the gas pump that regulates the flow of fuel. This is the uh, from the uh, president of the Florida Petroleum Marketers Association, Ned Bowman, said they were able to change the price of the fuel down to a nickel a gallon and fill <laughs> their their tank, their spare tank, the uh, all of the. Uh, gas containers they could find with gas for basically free. The men were caught after one was allegedly seen trying to access the inner electronic parts of a fuel pump on security video. Uh, it showed this guy and another man attempting to put something inside one of the fuel pumps. An inspection by the uh, State Department of Weights and Measures showed that there was a fuel pulsar manipulation device inside of it. I didn't even know you can do that. I mean, I know that, you know, they can, I thought it was all, you know, electronically regulated. Apparently there's this device. When they searched the suspect's car, they found a keychain with a remote that could control the manipulation device as well as keys used to open up gas pumps. The men now face felony charges, including unauthorized access to electronic equipment and criminal mischief. Um, Florida Commissioner of Agriculture, Nikki Freed says we have zero tolerance for theft of this type. If you are thinking of doing something like this, we are going to catch you. <laughs> Put that into the category of seemed like a good idea at the time, but no, it's, I'm not going to let you get away with that. Um, here's another story out of uh, Florida. Clearwater, Florida, man facing burglary charges uh, for allegedly breaking into a music store. Um, I don't know. He's lucky to be alive. After surviving a three-story fall, he probably would have gotten away with it had he not lived a had he not left a trail of blood that led police right to him. <laughs> the man allegedly entered the building through a window near the roof and walked a per- perimeter ledge around the building, but then lost his balance and fell three stories, striking a lamp post and a guitar display on the way down, according to police reports. The suspect then used an amplifier to break through a glass door and leave the building, leaving a trail of blood that connected him to
to the incident via DNA analysis. <laughs> Police reviewed videos from five different security camera surveillance systems near the store, showed a vehicle driving around the area that resembled the suspect's uh, Kia Spectra. The suspect was arrested and uh, has been released on bail, but <laughs> just left a trail of blood. Police just followed the uh, blood drops right to their suspect. <laughs> Oops. Mm. Uh, let's see here. Has this ever happened to you um, or your son or daughter? An elementary school student on a field trip. Uh, this is in Alabama. Well, from Alabama, they were actually visiting the Nashville Zoo earlier this week. Student on a field trip from the Hart Academy at Julian Newman Elementary School uh, in Athens, Alabama, Monday apparently became separated from the group at the zoo. Uh, the child found a zoo employee at a restaurant in the early afternoon, said he thought he had been left behind. They started their child uh, lost child protocol and security was called. They took care of the child until the parents showed up. Um, usually that happens when someone becomes separated from a family member, but the school, the school, <laughs> They, the, they left the they left the kid behind when they left the field trip. They left the kid behind. Somebody didn't count heads when they got on the bus. Uh, as the school had registered its group for the day, uh, zoo officials were able to contact someone and reunite the child with his parents. But can you imagine uh, on a uh, field trip and lost him at the uh, at the zoo? That's a crazy story out of uh, Pennsylvania. Game Warden used his sharpshooting sharp skills to free a deer found with its antler entangled in netting at a local vineyard. The Pennsylvania Game Commission said in a Facebook post that Game Warden Ryan Zawanda responded to a property in Berks County, Pennsylvania, where a resident reported finding a deer with its antler caught in a vineyard net. The post said... Uh, he was concerned about tranquilizing the deer. It could cause a heart attack due to the animal's state of distress. So he decided to remove the entangled antler. And how did he do that? He shot it off. That wouldn't cause the deer any stress. I wouldn't think. I mean, <laughs> deer's probably thinking, what is it doing shooting at me here? Uh, but he was able to shoot the antler off without any injury to the deer. The buck ran off after being freed from the net. That's crazy. And speaking of animals, crazy story here, a Michigan woman sharing video of a very unusual vid visitor to her, her home, Sarah Greer, called 911 after she spotted a kangaroo in her driveway. This is in Lapeer County, Michigan. The dispatcher, she said, initially had to pause when, when she said, I've got a kangaroo in my driveway. But sure enough, animal control showed up and the kangaroo was safely rounded up. The uh, owner of the uh, animal told Ms. Greer he has a license for exotic pets like his kangaroo. Its name is Doug. <laughs> Doug the kangaroo is just not something you expect to see every day in Michigan of all places. Uh, there you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to us a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Wake up and text. 
text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This message provided by WFIN. So the Oscars are back and so is the red carpet. That may be the most exciting part of this weekend's gala because there's always at least as much anticipation for the glitz and glamour as there is surrounding the actual awards themselves. Celebrity dermatologist Dr. Doris Day and national style and entertainment correspondent Liliana Vasquez join us this morning with their red carpet preview. Liliana, let me start with you. What are your fashion and style predictions for the red carpet at the Oscars this weekend? Well, I have a feeling this carpet is going to be a showstopper. I think we're going to see big, bold fashions, of course, a return to glamour, and we can't wait. In terms of what you're actually going to see, expect a lot of color. I think that's really going to be the theme and the takeaway from Sunday's red carpet. We've seen it already start to happen in smaller carpets, so I have a feeling that at the Oscars, you're really going to see these celebrities turn up in really unexpected hues, like bright, vivid yellows, beautiful reds, rich pinks and blues, Um, even from stars that you usually don't see a lot of color on. I think they're really going to take a bold step into that color theory on Sunday. I think you're also going to see beautiful custom gowns. Um, A lot of times, you know, you borrow styles from the runway to wear on the red carpet, but this time I really think that designers are going to definitely do custom pieces for their favorite celebrities. And then you're also going to see a lot of Skin. And the reason you're going to see that is because cutouts have become a staple and a huge trend in fashion right now. It's a really unexpected detail on a garment. It really elevates the look of what you're putting on and it makes you kind of want to see more, right, without seeing too much. And cutouts just really lend themselves beautifully to being photographed at all different angles from 360 degrees. But if you're showing off all of that skin and, you know, unexpected places like your rib cage or your lower back, places where we don't usually focus a lot of attention on, you definitely want to make sure that your skin is looking gorgeous, glowing, radiant, and firm from head to toe. And that's where you come in, Dr. Day. What are uh, kind of the uh, aesthetic considerations, I guess, for lack of a better term? What are the celebrities' secrets for uh, keeping uh, their skin looking uh, as good as it does? Well, one of the things is keeping your dermatologist on speed dial and making sure that you have a strategy that starts out well ahead of time. This means using great skincare every day, all year round, including sun protection, reapplying it regularly. Then you're using antioxidants, retinols, vitamin C, niacinamide, all great ingredients on the face and on the body. And then you see your dermatologist to see if you're a good candidate for in-office treatments. And one that I see beautiful results from on the face and the body is Thermage FLX. This is a device It uses radio frequency energy, and it targets that collagen layer of the skin. And your skin is 70 to 80% collagen, so I want to focus there for firming the skin and to help with reducing that laxity. And so all the areas that you want to reveal and wear clothing that's going to accentuate your beauty, not try to hide your flaws. So this can be done around the eyes, on the face, on the decollete, the abdomen, the arms around the knees and the legs. 
So there's great treatments that you can have done, no matter your skin tone. So it's great for all skin types. And you can do it any time of the year because it's going deep to that collagen layer. So Liliana, you know, uh, you know this as, as well as anyone. What are the celebrities going through here over the next couple of days? They prepare for this big moment because it is a big moment to be seen on the red carpet. What is kind of the, the preparation uh, for this uh, event? It is like a, a full 360 approach to Sunday. It, it's everything that's going into your body. It's everything that's on the outside. It's, it's mental. It's emotional. It's physical. I mean, they're working out. They're eating right. They're getting a really good night's rest. You'd be amazed what sleep can do for you. Um, and, you know, they're also, I think, taking some time for themselves. You know, I think one thing we don't realize is how much energy gets exerted from them. You know, this is not just a one day event for them. They've been working on this film and promoting this film for months and months and months, Mm -hmm. building up to what is kind of like the last award show, the last major award show in our season. And it's exhausting. Um, So I think a lot of them are really excited for it to be over. uh, But they're also (laughs) really excited to be recognized for their work. So they are putting in the hours, you know, at, it's not easy. I think their job is to make it look easy and effortless with, you know, fabulous clothes and amazing glam and hair and makeup. But I always think, you know, this is very much a job for them. And this is like the job. This is the day that you have to show up yeah. really present and just ready to go. Yeah, I, I guess, uh, again, that's something that most of us don't really think about. And, and that's by design. I mean, it's designed to, like you said, they put a lot of effort into making it look effortless. So let me put you on the spot here. Uh, who is the celebrity most likely to show up in something outrageous that everyone will be talking about on Monday morning? No question. Lady Gaga. <laughs> I guess that was actually an easy one now that I think about it. Uh, again, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, it was a, that was an easy one. But, you know, it's, I think sometimes we expect her to be totally over the top. And I often think that, especially in the last few years when she's been recognized for her work as an actress, she shows up in something that is very signature Gaga, meaning it's out of the ordinary, it's unexpected, but it's still so beautiful. You know, she really understands how fashion can truly be art and an expression of who she is as an artist. And if you think about the role for which uh, she is being talked about this year, uh, it kind of goes hand in hand with that uh, particular character, too. So, uh, again, uh, celebrity dermatologist Dr. Doris Day and national style and entertainment correspondent Liliana Vasquez with us. Ladies, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. And now, once again, to finish up the week, as we typically do, my wife Kyra has joined us in the studio. It is time for another collection of easy-to-make and absolutely scrumptious recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. Good morning, dear. Hi, honey. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, We have a... uh, Good collection. I was thinking, you know, we should have uh, have done sort of an Oscars theme oh. with the uh, Academy Awards this weekend. Yeah. But uh, I suppose you could do these. Yeah. Uh, what is the, is it? Wolfgang? Is that who who does yeah, the Oscars? Yeah, yeah. I think it's Wolfgang. You think he'd do Wolfgang. porcupine balls? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> baked porcupine meatballs. He uh, could is call the, it something fancy. It, it, you, we can figure out I don't something. I think he called them porcupine balls. <laughs> hey, they're good. And a friend of mine kind of was like, so you this need was, to try this. So this was a uh, suggested recipe. Yeah, this was this. We haven't done this, so no. maybe we'll do it Sunday night for the uh, Oscars. There you go. There you go. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. So it's not bake- good enough for Wolf, uh, Wolfgang, Wolf, but Wolfgang it's, good Puck. <laughs> it's good enough. It's good enough for the Oaks family. <laughs> we could we could say it's from uh, Wolfgang Buck. Who would know the difference? You, you I mean, would know. Yeah, exactly. that's true. Uh, that is baked, true. Baked porcupine meatballs. Yes. So one pound uh, ground beef, uh, half a cup of uncooked white rice, one egg, uh, a half a medium onion chopped, three cloves of garlic garlic minced, a half a teaspoon of Italian seasoning, a half a teaspoon of salt, and pepper to taste. Um, Then for your sauce, it's two 14-ounce cans of tomato sauce, one cup of chicken broth, two tablespoons of ketchup, one tablespoon of Worcestershire sauce. Did I say that right? Worcestershire. Sorry, Worcestershire. (laughs) I didn't say it right. (laughs) It's all right. A half a teaspoon of garlic powder, a half a teaspoon of ground oregano, a half a teaspoon of smoked paprika. I can't talk today. A half a teaspoon of cumin and one tablespoon of brown sugar packed. So join the club. I can't talk either. So (laughs) it's been one of those days. It's it's it's. I always tell people there's There's a reason. There's a reason why we call them good mornings and not great mornings. Yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) Sometimes it's let's do whatever we can just to make it through mornings. Anyway, okay, so those are the ingredients. How do we make the baked porcupine meatballs? So preheat your oven to 350 degrees and move to the rack. Move the rack to the middle position. Mine's always in the middle position. I never. That's where I always bake my stuff. Add the medium meatball ingredients to a large prep bowl and mix with your hands. Uh, Form approximately 20 meatballs um, at about one and a half inches in diameter. Um, You can do bigger, too. I mean, you know, I I would probably do a little bit bigger. I like the... Okay. And and then um, add them as you go along to a 9 by 13 inch baking dish. Add the sauce ingredients to a medium bowl, stir together, pour the sauce over the meatballs, cover cover the baking dish, and bake for one hour. Simple as that. Yeah. Okay. So along with the baked porcupine meatballs, you have a tomato pie. Yes. Now, of all the pies, yes. I'm not big on tomato anyway, so this is not my yeah. You are not tea. my guinea pig on this one. Uh, but, y- I mean, apple pie, yeah. blueberry pie, cherry mm-hmm. pie. Yeah. Strawberry pie, but I have never heard of a tomato pie. This was it's kind new. of a. This is kind of a more of a pizza type. Okay, I mean, sort of. All right. Okay, so it's one seven ounce um, cheddar garlic biscuit mix. Okay. Uh, four to six uh, ripe tomatoes, um, sliced and take the seeds out when you slice it. Um, because if you keep the seeds in, that makes it really runny and can can really okay. mess up your crust. All right. Um, two to three basil leaves, thinly shredded. Um, one, um, a quarter cup of shredded cheddar cheese, one cup of mozzarella cheese, and one and a half uh, cups of real mayonnaise. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Prepare your biscuit mix as directed on the package. Pat that down in the bottom of your uh, nine-inch pie pan. Uh, cover the crust. Cust- 
cover the crust with your tomato slices, then sprinkle with your salt and pepper and basil. Combine the cheese and the mayonnaise in a small bowl. Spread the mixture on top of the tomatoes. Bake in a preheated oven for 35 minutes or until golden brown. Remove and allow to rest for about 10 minutes and then serve. Okay. so It's and, really good. And this is uh, more of a side than a dessert pie. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Correct. So, yes. Uh, yes. I sure. have an actual dessert. So. <laughs> yeah. For dessert, for dessert, we have uh, yes. Black Forest Poke Cake. Yes. So one dark chocolate cake mix, a 14-ounce can of sweetened condensed milk, 16-ounce container of chocolate fudge frosting, 21-ounce can of cherry pie filling, an 8-ounce container of Cool Whip thawed. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Spray a 9 by 13-inch uh, pan with nonstick spray. Prepare the cake according to the box directions. Okay. Bake for 25 to 27 minutes. Um, as soon as the cake comes out, then poke your cake with the end of a wooden spoon. Um, I use a little wood, wooden dowel rod, um, anything yeah. to make little right. holes. Right, right. Um, then you're going to drizzle your sweetened condensed milk slowly over the top of the hot cake. Make sure to fill all the holes. Uh, like, let the cake sit there then until it's completely cool. Uh, remove your foil from your frosting. Uh, heat that for about 30 seconds in the microwave. Stir and pour that over the cooled cake. Spread that evenly with the spatula. Refrigerate for a few hours or until chilled completely. Then um, open your can of pie filling. Uh, fold that into your whipped cream and spread that over top of your uh, cake and refrigerate until ready to serve. See, now this is, that's a dessert that's more my speed. Yes. <laughs> more yes. so than the tomato pie. Yes. But, uh, and it's is, really good. Both yeah. of the, the tomato pie um, and the uh, cake is that, really good. That does sound uh, very yummy. So uh, those are the uh, recipes this week from Kyra's Kitchen, the baked porcupine meatballs, the tomato pie, and the black forest poke cake. You can find those on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page. We've got a uh, special Facebook page we've set up uh, just for Kyra's recipes and all things Kyra's Kitchen. Uh, it is at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN. So you can like uh, Kyra's Facebook page uh, for all of those recipes and more. And uh, we also have them uh, posted, shared on the WFIN Facebook page and linked up, of course, at uh, goodmornings.net. You can find those recipes there. And as we always say, just like with the uh, porcupine meatballs, uh, if you have a recipe that you think would be great to share, by all means, you can... Uh, uh, share it on the uh, Facebook page. Yep. Share it on Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page. Uh, you can message her there. You can also uh, email us uh, if you have a recipe. We want to do it that way. Good mornings at WFIN.com. And, uh, of course, if you are looking for something, yep. uh, you can do all of those same things. Yep. Uh, you can reach out on the uh, Facebook page, uh, shoot us an email or what have you. If there's some kind of recipe that you've been looking for, uh, we'd be more than happy to get Kyra on the case and find it for you. Yes. So, okay. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, my You're wife, welcome. Kyra, uh, with her recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. Kai, thank you. You're welcome. And that will wrap up our podcast for today and finish up the week. Want to thank all of our guests, of course, for joining us on the program. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. 
Coming up Monday on the program, Wheels Up, Flag City Honor Flight is flying again this year with their busiest schedule ever to make up for lost time. Till Monday morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.